The views, comments, and opinions of the following program do not necessarily reflect those of Morris Media Studios, MorrisMediaLive.com, or its affiliates. Listener discretion is advised. Mentorship Moments, Each One Teach One, Episode 2. You mean they let me back in here? You know why? Because I have the real stuff. I have the real stuff coming. The guest I have, I, I'm just excited to do uh, this subject matter. I'm going to read some stats and then we're going to get into it, okay? So here we go, okay? Today, parents, get ready. This show was geared towards you on the subject matter of sex trafficking, okay? You do not want to ignore this. So let me read a few stats for you. Uh, this is from DoSomething.org. Sex trafficking involves transporting someone into a situation of exploitation. This can include forced labor, marriage, prostitution, and even organ removal. This kind of exploitation is known in a few different names. Human trafficking, trafficking of a person, modern slavery are the accepted ones by the U.S. Department of State. Globally, an estimated 71% of enslaved people are women and girls, while yes, men and boys account for 29%. In 2018, over half, 51.6% of the criminal human traffic cases active in the U.S. were sex trafficking involving cases with only children. Reports indicate that a large number of, of child sex trafficking survivors in the U.S. were at one time in the foster care system. Advocates reporting a growing trend of traffickers using online social media platforms, did you hear me y'all, to recruit and advertise targets of human trafficking. The average age of a teen that enters into sex trade in the U.S. is 12 to 14 years old. Many victims run away, are runaway girls who are sexually abused as children. Now, I was talking to my guest last night, and she said, CJ, we need to throw them stats away because people don't want to hear stats. They want to get into the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is Dr. Jamil Harrell-Sins from the Harrell and Cagle Inter uh, Intervention. Let me read her bio. I really want to get this right, and then we will bring her on in to get into the business of protecting your kids through the parents. Jamil Harrell-Sins, uh, doctor. Harrell Sims is the founder and chief executive of Harrell Kegler Interventions Incorporated, an organization that serves families and communities by using research and holistic uh, methodologies, as well as training uh, community stakeholders to ensure equity and equality in treatment. She received her doctorate in human services with a specialization of family studies and intervention strategies, where her dissertation Parental Knowledge of Domestic Minor Sex Trafficking Among Minor African-American Parents opened the conversation on the culture, ethnicity, and sexual exploitation and is the exemplar uh, study 
on that subject matter. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to stop reading because she can do a lot more on her darn self. Dr. Jamil Harrell Sims, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, uh, you know, I know a lot of people have a lot of accolades been in meeting you and talking to you. Uh, I could feel something different, you know, and I agree when we talked and you said, Cleon, we're going to throw these stats out of the way. OK, we're going to get them out the way. Let that be my job. Mm -hmm. You just want to talk to people. And then when we got to talking, she was saying, you know what? The focus, let's focus on the parents. Let's give them the weapons and the tools to combat this sex trafficking issue because it's, it's right under your nose and you may never know it. know it. I don't care if you're a good parent or a bad parent. So if you can give me a little more on yourself and then I got some questions. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I really wasn't expecting to. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a doctorate in uh, human services, family studies and intervention strategies. Uh, with a focus on African-American families. And an exemplar study mm -hmm. is the first study of its kind. Mm -hmm. So I have the first and possibly only study on uh, African-American families and sex trafficking and parental knowledge. Um, I'm also a Fulbright scholar, uh, Tanzania, East Africa, at the University of Dar es Salaam, as well as I am a retired probation officer. Awesome, awesome. And, Former uh, Leo. I was in the streets uh, doing the work, dealing with, you know, all facets of it. It's, uh, there's so many other things I could say about myself. Also, I'm Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Oh. I had to throw a shout out to my sorors. Do, do I expect some roar or some cheer? What do you guys, what do you guys do? Excuse me. Ooh. Ooh. No, you got the wrong one. <laughs> I'm already setting it off. Yeah. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble right now. There. <laughs> you said something that was very interesting. Um, and, you know, not to say that other uh, ethnicities don't get uh, human traffic because there are levels. You talked about the African-American community. Do you think that is something that is ignored? That's why you ended up being a specialist in it? Yes. And why do you think so? Because you have to look at history. I mean, prior to 2006, there was no law against trafficking. We looked at it as prostitution. These girls want to do this. But uh, my family's from Detroit, mm. and I remember uh, being at Northern High School in 1979, visiting, uh, going to school with my cousin, and the pimps were out there waiting for the girls. So what happens is we culturally look at it like, you're a bad girl, this is what you want to do. And that's not the case, and we're taught stranger danger. And it's not the stranger that does the harm. It's the person that you know. We know, basically, when it comes to crimes, if you become a victim of a crime, it's usually someone within your immediate vicinity or someone you have a relationship with. That's the majority of it. So uh, we have some pathology in our culture that needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. And until we learn how to deal with that, we're not going to be able to uh, nip this in the bud. You've been active in this, so so I'm curious. So why, until 2006, we're addressing it? What? Why now? Why? Why until then? I think that during that time, it it started to get uh, a lot of attention worldwide. But domestic minor sex trafficking is a different subject because that's trafficking within the United States of uh, youth that are American, they're here. So when sex trafficking first started being, people started paying any attention to it at all, they were thinking it was another country. Oh, that's the Philippines. Oh, that's going on in China. 
But no, it's been going on right here in the United States for years. Let me stop you there because you said something that I have to. Usually in America, we look at human trafficking as people in chains. You know, you mentioned Taiwan, mm -hmm. undersellers, but it's, it's not that way. I mean, no. the real, that's what the Hollywood leads us to believe. Right. Tell us what it's really about. I mean, there are people, there are pimps in suit and ties. There are pimps in T-shirts and sweats. You know, there are young ladies that you wouldn't even know. Can you expound on that? First of all, we have to ask ourselves, what is a pimp? Hmm. Because we have this, this thought of Bishop Don Juan, somebody with the green money suit. Right. You know, and the hat and the yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where's my women? You know, don't say the other word. And we glorified it too. Yeah, we glorified we sure it. And we yeah. like super fly and all of a sudden that's real cool. But really, if you want to know what a pimp looks like, look in the mirror. Hmm. Because you have pimps sitting right next to your, your daughters and your sons in class. They're called tennis shoe pimps. We have pimps that, you know, you, you never think about a woman being a pimp, but a lot of the pimps that I had to deal with were female. Wow. And so the thing is that we've, we have glorified it. We put it in music, and it's cool, and pimp my ride, and pimp this, and pimp that, taking the sting out of it when really it's destroying lives. It's just like you murdered that person. Once you groom that person into the life, you pretty much murdered them and parents need to understand how this even starts wow, wow. you know and we want to hit the parents right away but it's it's interesting to to know where it, in, in us talking the day before that she's tried to let's deal with the church this is each one teach one mentorship moments this is a village so we're going to heal all the villages you tasked the church with this pride and tell me your struggles with that you know when I was doing my dissertation, I won't, you know, in Southern California, there is really no one place where we are. We're kind of spread out. Mm -hmm. We don't have the numbers that we used to have when I was coming up. And so uh, where could I get African-American parents together? Church. Mm -hmm. So I sent out uh, 40 letters, emails, phone calls to 40 different churches from Riverside County, San Bernardino County, and L.A. County. You know how many answered me? Out of 40 churches, two. One of them was my own pastor. Wow. And so the, the second church that answered me had about 1,500 parishioners. Out of 1,500 people, only 40 people wanted to participate in the, uh, in the research. Mm. Now, you gave a presentation at that yes. church, and something happened that you didn't expect to happen, but did happen. You found the positive. Share what that experience was like. There was one church uh, in, you know, well, they were having an outing in Riverside, and they asked me to come and speak, and so I did. I went up and I, you know, the parents, it was like a, there was like a, it was outside, so people had picnic tables and things like that, and so they didn't seem to really be paying attention. And I spoke for probably 20 minutes, and then after that I said, well, you know, I'm done. They didn't get it. So I, I'm coming down the stairs and I'm getting ready to get my stuff together and leave. And there's like five or six young ladies on the side waiting for me. And so they said, you know, really appreciate your talk, thank you. And that was nice because they, they were like 15, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. But one of them said, can I talk to you in private? So I stepped to the side and she said, there's a man coming from Ohio, he's coming to get me tomorrow. 
He said that, you know, he was going to take care of me and everything. She had no idea. And so what I did, I, con I got a hold of the, I had some FBI contacts. At that time, I was in the trafficking unit. And so I contacted the FBI and let them know about it, and they took care of that. But the other girls all had stated that somebody was either coming to get them or, you know, uh, they had already been involved. And these are girls that are in the church. For some reason, and this is what really angered me, is that the other people that I tried to get to get involved in the research told me they didn't, they didn't need it because they could pray it away. And I was told that, well, my kids are homeschooled, so I don't have to worry about that. And how old were those girls? 15, 14, 14. 13. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, and you saved a life that day. That, yeah. that young lady could have disappeared. Yes, he was coming to get her. Man. So, in essence, you're saying there are levels to this. Yes. And the wolf does lie in sheep, sheep's clothing. And Absolutely. it's sitting right next to us in church, so our churches need to get involved. Speaking of levels... And we're talking to the parents. Well, I'm, I, I'm a, I consider myself a good father. I consider my wife, Evie Joseph, I love you. I consider her a good mother. I consider myself having good kids, you know, and so the rest of my family. Are we vulnerable? Are, am I vulnerable? I talk to my kids, right? I'm tired mm -hmm. sometimes. Am I vulnerable and how? Yes, you're vulnerable. People think that uh, one of the questions on my uh, questionnaire, I did a qualitative survey. Okay. And one of the questions was, uh, does having a father in the home prevent sex trafficking? You can't believe how many people thought so. Mm -hmm. I will tell you about two cases. My very first case that got me interested in this, she was about, she just turned 12. And she had both parents. And she somehow had slipped into it. And she, she would not talk to anyone. She couldn't get along with anyone, but she would always talk to me. And at that time, I was located in the school. So I spent seven years as a school PO. Mm -hmm. And she came to me and, you know, asking for help. And I knew, I knew a little bit about it, but, you know, I only knew about it from Detroit or over on Prairie Boulevard where you would walk by and see yes. them out there and they're bad people and they, that's what they wanted to do. But what ended up happening is she became out of control. She, she disappeared, mm -hmm. and the parent found her uh, in a house with some grown men. I asked one of the deputies to help me help her, and his attitude at the time was, this is what she wants to do. There's nothing you can do about it. So that's the first person. The second person actually that's the first one I actually had a relationship with. Mm -hmm. The actual first person I ever came across was 14 years old. She met this guy. He told her that he was a rapper. He was a really good-looking guy. And uh, they started talking on the phone. And so he said, I'm going to come get you and take you out. So being a little rebellious, she had both parents in the home, nice home. He picked her up, took her down to Figueroa, had her on Figueroa. Mm. She got tired of being on Figueroa. She made it somewhere. She ran. She called someone, and they contacted a family member who brought her back home. Well, the pimp found out she was brought back home and drove back out there. And now, now get this, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, honking and banging on the door, telling her father, send her out here. She owes me money. Wait, are you for real? Yes. So the pimp demanded of the father to send his daughter out because she owed him money. Mm. 
I, pro I, I helped prosecute him. He was on probation and parole. Mm -hmm. And I helped prosecute him and get three years. And at that time, even, you know, they weren't using RICO laws. So three years, you're only going to do, at, that's not even the 85%, that's half. So a year and a half for destroying someone's life, they, the, the laws just weren't in favor of pimping and pandering just didn't carry that much. And that was 2002. Okay. Okay, wow, wow. Let me ask you something. Breakdown to our parents. What a, a, a breakdown. How does the pimp, the modern-day pimp, the tennis shoe pimp, break down our young men and women, you know, because there are young boys out there being trafficked, you know, and as you said, female pimps. How does the pimp, the modern-day pimp, break, break our kids down? Well, first of all, I'm going to say this. Uh, in the middle of COVID, a lot of parents have lost their jobs. Uh, for those youth who have never had much, when you're sitting in class next to someone who has designer clothes and $300 Nikes and their hair is always done and they look good, you tend to want to be around that person. You tend to want to find out how can you make some money. And so they're sitting in class next to them saying, well, you can get this money if you hang out with me. And so they start hanging out with them and they get them involved. And they, what they, they don't see the danger. Mm. They see, I'm going to make this money. But they have no idea until it actually happens how that's going to, to be done. I have had uh, young uh, survivors tell me that they spent the night at a friend's house and the pimp was at the friend's house. It started from there. Mm. I've had them say they went to a party, they got drugged, um, they were gang raped. There was, uh, they put it on video, and if you don't go out and do this, then we're going to put this out on social media. There's different ways that it happens. It's not just the grown man that's hanging out at the corner, the creepy-looking guy. This is, we've got to get rid of this mindset that this creepy-looking guy with the van, I remember looking at social media and every white van, everybody was like, oh, my God, it's a pimp. No. Mm. The real pimp, the exploiter, looks like anybody else walking down the street. In fact, might even be in your family, and I have those stories as well. Listen, guys, if you want to call in and, and speak to Dr. Sims, the phone number you can call in, it is 323-815-4204, uh, because if you have questions, now is the time to ask, okay? So we're gonna continue. So um, so, uh, so these young, our young people, they get entrapped. Mm-hmm. It, sometimes it's not even forced. Where's the, where's the hook? What gets them so deep involved to where even I, the parent, can't get them out? It's the money. There's, there's, Is it really that easy? Is it just the money? Because I'm, I'm dead. I, I got enough money to... There, there, there's another thing is oftentimes we're so busy working to provide this nice life, we're not giving them the attention. The one thing about a pimp, we think pimps are dumb. They are not. They are very clever. Uh, they're ingenious. If they will befriend your child, regardless of age, male, female, find out what is lacking, and, and they, what they do is they duplicate the family. So if you don't have a father in the home, that person, I'll protect you, I'll love you, I'll be there for you. Every young lady's looking for the father. Now the boys, that's a whole different subject. It's done very differently. But for the girls, they are providing something that the, the girl thinks she does not have. Whether it's money, whether it's affection, whether it's being told that you're beautiful, uh, whether it's, hey, you know, you can sing. I can, I've heard that one. 
uh, you have a beautiful voice, you know, I'm looking for a backup singer, or I'm looking for someone to be in my music video. So they're very impressionable. You have to understand that what we did wrong as parents is we allow smut on the television. Mm. We, 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 you don't see any other group doing this. We allow things on a television that are detrimental because we are visual people. We're very symbolic. Okay. And so these kids see this on TV. They see getting money. They see all that. They see the rap videos. And I love hip-hop. I'm not going to lie. I love it. Right. But I'm a grown woman. Right, 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 right. You know, and so when you have, you know, images in front of your children and you don't, you don't uh, pay attention to that and guard that, this is what they see every day. They're going to leave your house and they're... You can be as protective as you want, but they're going to leave your house and they're going to be around a whole nother group. And we've all been through peer pressure. And that peer pressure is what's going to cause them to want to get involved in that. They don't understand. Once they do get involved and say, you know what, I don't want to do this, the grooming process has already started. Right. And so what the pimp does at this point, you have, you have the gorilla pimp. He's going to beat the crap out of you. You have a finesse pimp. He won't hit you, but the bottom will. And so for parents who don't know oh, what that is. Please explain what the bottom is. That's the most trusted, the one that's been with him the longest, and oftentimes she does the discipline. Times haven't changed with the phrasing, yeah. No, no. So you have these different levels and layers, and, you know, there was one in particular. Uh, she had been pimped out. She got rid of her pimp, and she started pimping out other girls in high school. High school? She was in high school. Wait, so... This, this is actually happening in the high schools? Every day. Okay, okay. Man, please, please continue. Every day. She was, she was recruiting girls in high school and pimping them out. There, I had girls who were going out in pairs to protect themselves. There's so many layers to this. There's not always a man. And, and we always think about the track or the blade, which is Figueroa or used to be Prairie or Sepulveda or a Long Beach Boulevard, or these are the these are the tracks, the blades, and it's all in the language. And I do want to talk about Please. the language, but the majority of trafficking happens online. Online, and and for those parents that told me, well, my child is homeschooled, and they don't, we don't go anywhere but to church. My my answer to that was, but you have a cell phone, you have a tablet, you have a laptop, then the pimps in your house. Because I can go onto a child's Facebook and go back two generations. I'll find, I'll find a pimp easy. Wow. It's that easy. I I'd hate to, we were talking earlier, I hate to lay my youngest out, but I'm so proud of her for bringing it to me. She uh, had this texting app that was so popular a few years ago. And, you know, I just decided to do a daddy inspection, mm -hmm. you know, because I was talking about how am I a hard dad. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, let me see your phone, baby girl. So I looked at the phone, I'm zipping down, and sure enough, I see like a man's genitalia, but he's talking in childlike speak mm -hmm. as if he's a kid or something mm -hmm. like that. And I was like, man, it, it's here. But there are actually kids that actually fall for it. I'm proud of my, my kid for bringing it to me, but there are kids that are uh, actually massaging and thinking that that's okay. I mean, that's really going on online. Yes. Oh, man. Yes, they're not, no one's watching. The parents are... Uh, inundated with their life and they're not watching. Um, we don't have communities anymore. When we had communities, at least, you know, Miss Johnson down the street could look out and see what type of people you're hanging out with. You know, everyone knew each other and there was a community and, and the community, like for in our age bracket, the community raised us. Right. 
we don't have that anymore. We have families where we don't know who's across the street. We don't know who's next door. And so when we see something, we don't say anything mm -hmm. and, until it's too late and someone comes up missing. And they, not just young uh, teenagers, grown women, you know, they're looking for, you know, this man to take care of me. They want to be kept. They, you know, the man has a nice car, you know. We don't, we don't check people out. And what's funny is that we have access to check out pretty much anybody we want. We do. We absolutely do. But we do. don't use it. And so you've got about 64,000 uh, African-American women missing, 64 to 67,000 right now. Wow. Now, uh, I don't want to really do a lot of stats, but you just don't understand how, how huge serious it is. this is serious. Mm. It's mm. serious. And once that child gets in the life, even if you get them back, they, they're not the same. So, so let me ask you this. I do want to talk about the, the pimp more so that so the parents can, can find out what to look for. But when you intervene with somebody that's been in, you know, mm -hmm. whether the parents know it or not, what, what, is, what is that like? Give us a 3D version of what that's like when you do it. Well, the pimp looks at them as property. So they love the pimp. They think the pimp really loves them. They have a loyalty they, they're, they're taught to believe that you're in this world now, so you don't belong in the other. Mm. You're tainted. They're there against you. I'm for you. We're going to make it together. You know, I love you. And, and it could, they could buy them a, a Burger King burger, and they think that that's love. The other part of it is fear, uh, very strong fear, because this person has the ability to hurt you. Some pimps will say, if you leave me, I know where you live. I'll kill your family. Mm. You know, even though, even if they can't carry that out, that child doesn't know that. Right. Too young to, to understand yeah, it. Yeah. They don't know it. Now, when they're 16, 17 years old and you get them out, they go right back to it because to them it's easy money. We don't have programs anymore like CETA and Manpower where the kids can go and get a job. So how do they get money? They use their body. I mean, look at what's around, you know, they, it's all around sex sales. So shake your money maker, and you're giving it away for free, right? So right. might as well get paid. And that's what I had a conversation with a pimp, and it took everything in my power not to reach through the phone and strangle him. Wow. But he said he could pimp anybody. He thought he could pimp me. Wow. He was that confident of himself. Now, now me being being dad and a, dad, a fairly good protector. Now, I'm not a doctor, so it, I don't know if it's worked so far, but it, it's worked up to this point, I guess. I've always told my kids from day one, because I know that the pimps and the, and the demons out there will tell them that they'll kill their parents if such and such. I tell them, that's not true. Daddy will kill them. Mm -hmm. If I did anything right, I always made yes. sure I, there are monsters, but I can be a monster too. Mm -hmm. So never be afraid to come to me. And I, I really feel like I'm very proud of them because they're in their teenage years, but when it's time to talk, we do talk, you know, but I don't know if I'm doing it 100% right. What even should I be listening for, my wife and I be listening for in their conversations? Even, we, we got the social media, we, need to, we do need to inspect social media. Parents. Don't be afraid to be a jerk in that sense, inspect. But what do we need to listen for or look for in our kids to recognize the signs that they're starting to be in the game? Language. Thank you, please go into that. The language, boyfriend, pimps are called boyfriend, daddy, uh, track, blade, bottom. Uh, there's certainly that life, 
you know, there's uh, one of the biggest telltale signs is you know what phone you bought your kid. They come up with a second phone, you're already in trouble. Because if they will fight you over that second phone, that phone is was given to them by the exploiter. I've had uh, other parents say, well, you know, uh, I don't go in their room, that's their private area. You know, I trust them. But uh, in my last career, you know, I'm a professor and, and social scientist now, mm -hmm. but before, I would go and do searches, and when I do the searches, and she's 13, and she has a thong, you know, she's got money, a stack of money in her drawer, uh, she has a second phone, and there's no names in the phone numbers, just a bunch of numbers, mm. that's a huge sign. Okay. It's how they dress, it's, do you, the who, what, where, when, and how. Those are the questions you need to ask your child when they're walking out that door. Who are you going with? What are you going to be doing? Where are you going to be? So to the parents that fear that, well, I don't want to, like, you know, unempower my child or did a, what do you think, what, how do you talk to those parents? Like, I want them to be independent, think on their own. I trust them. You know, I, I, hey, I trust and love my kids, but I'm their father. There's a certain role that the mother and father has. How do you get into those parents' head when you're talking to them? You know what? I wish I could see. Uh, um, let me say this. You are not parenting if you are not paying 100% attention to your child. Say period it. with the T on the end. Say it. You're not parenting. These kids are, have different ways and means to do what they do. You need to be looking at that social media. You need to be checking their phone, the pictures on their phone. You need to be popping up at school anyway because you need to know what they're doing and how they're doing at school and don't wait until you get a phone call or letter. Pop up and find out if they're ditching class or not. You need to be going in that closet, finding out what clothes you didn't buy that miraculously showed up jewelry, things that you know you didn't buy. You know that child doesn't have a job. How do they have new shoes? All these things, it's not, you know, you want your children to learn to be independent, but they won't, it won't help if they're dead mm. or out there on the track and their life is over. I had, I had uh, a young lady, she, had, she was addicted to heroin, and her, uh, her parents were very well off. I mean, her dad was an attorney. They were very well off. They had a beautiful home. She was addicted to heroin, and she ended up somewhere in a, uh, something happened to her. Okay, I understand. I, I, and I know there's some yeah. stories she can't, she can't tell, but I do want to ask a couple of questions. It's twofold. In your intervention strategies, can you talk about, and I don't know how far you can get into it because I believe in protecting you know, the privacy too, as mm -hmm. much as we can. Mm -hmm. a, a story where you felt like it was uh, somewhat of a success, even though life is a continuum, and maybe a, a story if possible that's just like, you said, man, I didn't get this one, and how did that feel? You know, and maybe how did the parents feel if you were in contact with them about it? There was one in particular, and I, you know, I kind of I kind of almost adopted her. I mean, I've, the parents wrote me a letter thanking me for, you know, getting their daughter back and helping out. Uh, this young lady had a child, and uh, she spent the night at a friend's house. The parents never checked out the friend. Parents, 
don't let your kids spend the night at people's home if you don't know um, the parents. It's not enough to say this is her friend spend the night. I can't tell you how many parents have let kids spend the night at their home and never met the parents. I'm so glad you said that. I am. So There's no spending amen. the night. There is no spending the night. This young lady spent the night, and she met the pimp there, and he was a good-looking guy, and next thing you know, she wanted attention. Next thing you know, he's got her in the life, and he's watching her son while she's taking care of her business. He got arrested. Uh, she came to me. Um, I ended up picking up that case. And so what I ended up doing was, you know, trying to teach the parents what to look for, you know, what, you know, how did this start? You know, I, I try to go back and look at uh, the, the uh, psychology part of me says, let me go do a genogram mm -hmm. and go back and look at the whole structure of this family and the history of it so that I can figure out how did this happen. And so the parents were willing to work, do the work. They, they made all their appointments. They made sure she got everywhere she needed to be. And the pimp got out of jail and uh, went to the house. He figured out which apartment it was because the mother had some things on her car that kind of marked her vehicle. Okay. He came to the house, he's banging on the door, and he, uh, uh, they called me and I got my team together and we went, we went down there. Um, she ended up going to college. She ended up, because she believed in me and the relationship was there, and I was able to get to her, she had not been in the life that long. Understand this about the life, you have 90 days. It takes 90 days to change a behavior. So if that child's been in there a six months, a year, it's, it's, it's harder. It's hard to get them out. Up to 90 days, you have a chance to get them out and find out why this happened and help you know, rebuild their, their uh, self-esteem because 80 to 90% of these kids have been sexually abused. You know, you have that. Then you have those who come out of foster care. Then you have those who have parents, but the parents are working all the time or the parents are partying all the time and they're not paying attention. You know, and so there's kids really raising themselves. And it, there's no pro, there's not that many programs. There's, there's not that much support. Families are spread out. And so they're looking for that attention. So parents, spend time with your kid. I, and it's a good uh, that you said that because in the pandemic, there are many people that are at home, you know, doing work at home. Is this not the perfect time to sit down and hash this out with your kids and have that conversation? So I want to have the conversation. How do I start off? Do I come off like a jerk? I am dead, hear me roar. Do I just keep it real? How do I, and I'm playing devil's advocate, how do I start this conversation? There's different ways to start it. You know, you can, uh, maybe you'll find something on YouTube that talks about trafficking and you say, hey, um, Deborah, come on and uh, can you come watch a movie with me? And you sit down and you watch the, the documentary and that opens up the discussion. Do you know anything about this? No, Dad. Well, I, I want you to watch this because I want you to be aware that these things can happen. I want to, you know, if somebody starts talking to you this way, I want you to tell me. See, a lot of parents don't talk to their children. The children feel like they can't talk to them. The worst thing you can do is try to be your child's friend. You're the parent. Don't be their friend. Be their parent but also be open enough that they can talk to you without yelling at them, screaming at them, accusing them, cussing them. And this is why they don't want to tell you they're in trouble because mm -hmm. they feel like you're going, they've all, all of them have told me 
I can't, if I try to tell my parents what's going on, they're just going to go off and blame me or tell me to shut up or go sit down. They don't want to hear it. So the parents become afraid and they want to push the child away. That's the worst thing you can do. You need to be able to sit down. You know, a lot of us wait until they're 16, 17 to even talk about dating. You need to talk about that before they're 12. Uh, I had that conversation with my girls uh, at 10 and 11, you know, and I thought that was the right time. I mean, I didn't just paint the graphic picture, but it was the start, you know, especially when I found my, my daughter's uh, uh, phone app. It was a perfect time to talk about what that was. Not only just trying to be the best example, just to have those little conversations. Where's your head at when you saw this? You know, I felt like I had to reverse all that was seen and explain it, you know. That, I think that's what we need. And this is not for, I'm not talking to bad parents. I'm not. I'm talking to parents. I'm talking to parents that are walking around thinking they're good parents providing for their kids. You are the most vulnerable. Are there some psychological effects that parents should know? Not just the clothing, the changes, the phones and all this, but psychologically, is there withdrawals? Yes. Please they become withdrawn. They, they, maybe they were very talkative. They're no longer talkative. Maybe they, they had a lot of friends and now they're kind of to themselves. Um, they're always on their phone or they're going. You see change in behavior. You see that their, their grades are going down because people think that uh, when these kids get involved that they, they don't go to school. That's not true. Some of them will go to school and play the role, come home, put their books down, and then go out and do what they do and come back three hours later and you have no idea of what they've been doing. Man. There's so many, so many levels to this. Parents, you have got to pay attention to your children. You've got to get on that social media. You've got to have conversations. You've got to explain to them what does a good man look like. You know, these men, if that's what you want to call them, they, they, they go into character and they make themselves look like they're everything a young lady wants. And they get that, they ask a lot of questions about, you know, their background so that they have enough information to use against them. If you don't have a, an issue, the pimp will create one for you. Wow. Wow. So the parents, having the conversation, not, don't wait. Look, at 12 years old, it can already happen. For boys, it's 11 to 13. So... You know, we have to have a real conversation. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. But what's, what's, what, what means more, being uncomfortable with this conversation or having to call Black and Missing or, or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children? Uh, you're in Long Beach. I've met Long Beach uh, Vice uh, in Oakland. Um, in fact, let me tell you this. Uh, I was in Oakland. I was there for a seminar, a trafficking seminar. I had on a Cal State LA sweatshirt, had a hoodie over my head, and I'm walking. I'm trying to find food because the rest, the uh, hotel didn't have a restaurant. And a Mercedes Benz started following me. They couldn't tell my age because I have the hoodie on. They're following me. And I look back and I see they're following me, and so I cut this way, and they're cutting. And I turn around, and luckily for me, well, he would have had a fight. They were two men. Uh, Long Beach Vice was was standing outside the building, and they saw the whole thing. And I just turned around and start running. And uh, after that, they said, "You don't go anywhere by yourself." Now here it is: I'm I'm grown with right. kids, right. but they couldn't tell that, and they were going to try to kidnap me. So it's not just somebody kidnapping you. I need parents to understand. 
This is somebody that comes to your house, visits. It could be a friend of your son's. It could be your own family member. It could be a neighbor across the street. It could be someone who goes to the high school next to your daughter's middle school. You have to look at, I'm not saying look at everyone like they're a suspect, but you have to be aware. And you have to teach your kids to be aware. And nobody don't want to hear that coming from you because you're your mom, your right. dad, you're you're old, decrepit, and how dare you even talk about these things. Right. But you have to have that conversation. I know you were, and let me get this out. To, you can go to hkinterventions.org to find out more. I want to make sure I put a plug. Yeah, we're going to do it again. I just want to make sure mm -hmm. I got that out there. Okay. You know, because I'm, I'm loving what I'm hearing, and parents, you need to listen to this. Is there, is there, is there a story that possibly you can tell that sticks to you to this day that just really you said, I wish I had got to that one? Uh she was pimped out by her own mother. Uh, I thought I was I thought I was pulling her away, but uh, the one thing that was stronger than anything that I could do was wanting her mother, and a mother got her involved, and I lost her. I've lost a couple of them. Uh, I've lost one to death. That one was murdered. Um, I lost that one that just went out there because because she really wanted to be with her mother, and if that's what she had to do to be with her mother, that's what she was going to do. I, I've lost I've lost a few, but I'm proud to say that there are others that actually I was able to help. They went to college, they got a scholarship. Um, you know, they're okay. okay. Now, do you actually? Uh, I I know you. When, when a person calls you, you actually go out to their parents and, and do, do those intervention sessions right in front of them in like real time? Hey, hey, doctor, doctor, I need help. I've, I've had calls and I've asked, the first thing I've asked them to do is did you contact the police? That's the first thing. You're calling me, but contact the police. Let me say that again. You said contact the police. Why is that so important? Because every minute that that child is missing, their Come life is in danger. Yeah. How many of you watched the first 48? You have 48 hours to find someone. So if you're calling me, I'm one person. I don't have the team anymore because I retired. I can, I can help you, but the first thing I'm gonna ask you to do is contact whatever city you live in. They have, they should have, or the county I know has, a trafficking unit. Contact them, tell them that your child is missing, get that information out, they'll do a bolo, they'll, you know, word will come out. Contact black and missing, have them upload the photo so the whole country can be looking for that child. And organizations like yours can be that liaison to law enforcement if yes. there are people, because there are people that are conditioned to be afraid of uh, the police. Absolutely. You know? and, and I get it, fine, but if you want your communities to work, you have to work together. But you can be that liaison to build yes. that trust. Man. I understand. I'm, look, being an African-American woman and a proud one at that, I understand not trusting the police. Trust me, I understand that. However, uh, who are you going to call? You have to get boots on the ground. You have to use everything necessary that you can use. And don't just call them and leave it there and rely on the police because they've got 50 million cases. Right. But at least get the information in the database. You have to be proactive. You have to. So all you have to do is you have to try. You can believe all the myths you want. But you have to try. Pick up the phone and get involved with your local uh, uh, police agency. It's so important because we serve you. We're supposed to help, all right. And if you're not getting the help, hey, maybe we'll have we'll bring somebody on to show you how to get that help going, all right. Crack that whip. Yeah.
listen, I, I have to, I have to wrap up. This is like, <laughs> I gotta have you on again. There is going to be a part two with a law enforcement, uh, 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 from a law enforcement perspective. Uh, we have guest uh, Dr. Uh, Stephanie Powell. That's going to be great in November. But you have to come back on the show because I know there are some more stories. And I just I, I'm really glad I met you and I'm, I'm getting to know you even more. And I want to thank God for your service over the years, for what you did back in the day as a probation officer. And thank God for what you continue to do right now. Thank Again, HKinterventions.org. Uh, this is Mentorship Moments, Each One Teach One. This is a village. Again, if you want to know more about CJ, go to cjffpublishing.com. And again, hkinterventions.org. I hope you learned something. That's what all the show is about. We are going to heal the community. There's a lot of things going on in the overcurrent, but in the undercurrent, there are victims. There are still issues we need to address, the overall wellness. Each One Teach One. Let's go. I'm gonna make it happen.